As a global leader in equine health, Boehringer Engelheim's main goal is to improve equine patients' health and quality of life. Boehringer Engelheim is dedicated to providing the latest product technology for the treatment and prevention of diseases in horses. Learn more about our product portfolio and what we can offer the veterinary community by visiting bi-vetmedica.com. Welcome to Practice Life, the podcast devoted to the important non-clinical issues affecting the daily practice of equine veterinary medicine. Practice Life is brought to you by the American Association of Equine Practitioners. And I'm Mike Pannell, a practice owner and veterinarian, and a longtime EAP member and your host. Hi, it's Mike Pannell with another episode of AAP Practice Life Podcast, continuing our series on what's great about equine practice. We hear a lot of uh, negative things about equine practice, and so for all veterinary students and young uh, graduates who have always had an interest in equine practice, and people said, you, just, you shouldn't do that, well, we're here to tell you otherwise. I'm joined by an outstanding panel tonight. Some I know and some I met for the first time, but I know one thing we all share is a love of equine practice. So we're going to start ourselves east and, and work our way a little bit south and then back up to the north. So first off, I want to join Dr. Tina Boyd from Northern Virginia. Welcome, Tina. Hi, good to be here. And then also joining us is Dr. Uh, Lauren Devang. You're, and Lauren, you're outside of Houston, aren't you? Yes, yes. Just, just west and uh, yeah, just basically west of Houston. All right, so we're going to go west of the Mississippi and keep on going north and until uh, we meet Dr. Uh, Scott Spaulding from Southern Wisconsin. Scott, welcome. Thanks, Mike. That's right. I'm from Southern Wisconsin, uh, practice in the greater Janesville area, just south of Madison, about an hour and a half northwest of Chicago. All right. Scott, you're an equine, but you're a mixed practice too, right? That's correct. That's correct. And what's your vintage of practice? How long have you been out for? I graduated in 1991, so coming up on 30 years. Wow, that's great. So you, you're going to have some great insights. And Tina, uh, you're in Northern Virginia. Tell us a little bit about your practice. So we're an equine exclusive practice, and our area, we kind of have a, a wide range of disciplines and uh, travel. So I am west of Washington, D.C., about an hour and a half. And I kind of extend from the Northern Virginia area to the kind of the top part of Central Virginia. Quite a big territory then. Yes. Yeah. And, and Lauren, tell us about your practice. So we are a three-doctor practice. I'm one of the associates. Um, we do just equine. We're equine exclusive too. We are ambulatory and we have a clinic that we work out of. So that's a good part. Yeah, that's always nice. So Scott, I'm going to start with you. What makes equine practice so satisfying to you? And I'll ask the three of you, but let's just start with Scott. Mike, you know, that, that's, that's just a great question to think about. And, you know, when I, when I started thinking about this question, it's I've worked with horses my entire life. I've been with horses. I was raised with horses. You know, so I like to tell people now that I've been working with horses over 50 years. And for me, um, becoming an equine veterinarian, I think, was just kind of a natural, natural progression for me. And I, I think... Um, you know, growing up, I had the opportunity to work with so many great equine veterinarians that, you know, many of them became my mentors and, uh, you know, really influenced the way I practiced. And I think for me, you know, it's, it's certainly about the horse, um, but it's also about the horsemen. It's about um, the people you work with. It's, it's so much of it's about the people 
I've been practicing for so long, you know, I'm, I'm sometimes even working with third generations of families, you know, getting to just have so many different, different experiences with the people. Ambulatory veterinarian, I like to be out and about. I absolutely love being out and about. You know, I see my small animal colleagues, you know, for the most part, they're stuck in an exam room and, you know, they have 15 or 20 minute appointment slots and they go from um, room to room to room. And, you know, I get to be out in the country on, on the great spring days, the great fall days, the hot summer days, the bad winter days. I get to see it all. I get to see the crops grow. Um, I get to know my clients um, in a much different setting. I'm in their homes. I'm in their barns. Um, I know their families. Those are really the things that I that I love to do, Mike. Yeah. So the driving around is a feature, not a bug. Oh, absolutely. And we can, you know, I think most equine ambulatory doctors they cover a huge area. They cover a huge area, and uh, it's what you do. Yeah. I enjoy it. That's part of my life. Yeah. Tina, I'll ask you the same question. What makes equine practice so satisfying to you? It's funny, very, very similar to what Scott had to say. I think I have always enjoyed uh, kind of the reproduction aspect of of practice and raising horses and, you know, trying to select those individuals and, and get that healthy foal on the ground and then watch that foal go on to achieve what the owners intend. And especially when I can get involved with um, breeders that this is the fourth and the fifth generation. Like maybe I put the stallion in his mother and now he's the (laughs) grandsire. And, and I, I really enjoy that. And I really enjoy watching everybody kind of achieve their goals with that. But again, with Scott, like watching, you know, working with the mother and now I'm working with the daughter who's now a parent herself you know, still kind of pursuing those goals. I think that we have an opportunity because we we are visiting people. We do get involved in meeting great people kind of on a daily basis and maybe something that other parts of veterinary medicine don't get to. When you're in the barn for a couple hours dealing with a colic or waiting for a mare to foal or things like that, you know, you you really do become a part of their family. But it's really a team team concept that I very much enjoy. Yeah. It's the old joke. We're the only professionals that get to see our clients in their bathrobes and pajamas. (laughs) They're at two in the morning dealing with a colic and they're running out. Absolutely. Lauren, what about yourself? What, what makes equine practice so great for you? Um, I'm going to kind of piggyback off Tina. I also really enjoy the reproduction aspect of it. I grew up competing on horses and kind of got into breeding them myself a little bit. And then, you know, I always loved when the vet came out to my place, even if it was, you know, a bad news deal on the sports medicine side. But I just, I always looked forward to those appointments. I thought they were lots of fun. And, you know, being on the other side of it, getting to live that life every day is just, it's pretty great. And we did embryo transfers this year, kind of for the first time at our clinic in, a, in quite a few years. And, you know, seeing that embryo in the dish on the scope, it's just, it's an awesome feeling. And, you know, getting those mayors in full that you've struggled with, or, you know, you know, all the owner's hopes and dreams with them. It's just, that stuff is what, what keeps me going. And I really like that a lot. It's a lifestyle for me too. And I just, I love being in that part every day. Yeah, no, it is the relationships and being out. As Scott alluded to, you can be out there, you can be having a bad day, bad case, but you're out driving around and seeing the leaves change color or 
or just the grass starting to get green. It just, yeah, it makes it all better. So we'll go back to you, Scott. So starting out, when did you know that you made the right career choice that, yeah, horses was, was it for you? Is there, was there a moment that it all sort of crystallized to you that, yeah, I'm a horse vet and that's what I should have been? I don't know if there was one moment that stands out in my mind. I think that for me, it's just been a progression. And I think for me, I've had so many opportunities. You know, I've been so fortunate early in my career that I really focused on practice. I was, I was in a great practice. It's the same practice. The practice I'm in today is the practice I joined right out of veterinary school. And wow. You know, at that point in time, we had a hospital facility. And, and for me, it was, you know, we were seeing so many great cases and we were, you know, we were cutting a lot of colics and, you know, back in the nineties, the horse industry, I think was a different industry than it, than it certainly is today, especially in more, more remote areas. And so I think about early on, you know, the great cases I saw and the opportunity that um, I had to really sharpen my skills as, as a veterinarian, as a surgeon, as, as, a, as a theriogenologist, as a medicine person. And then I had the opportunity to kind of move into a more of a management um, aspect of the practice. And, um, you know, I really enjoyed that part of it, you know, and then you know, later in my career, getting to mentor students and develop them and, you know, see my successors begin to step into my shoes and, so for me, Mike, I don't think there was ever one point in time. For me, it was a progression. I think that's one of the great things about being a veterinarian is that, you know, we're great problem solvers and we can step into so many different roles and uh, you have the opportunity to do different different things throughout your career. And for me, that's been one of the most, you know, just really satisfying things that, that has always told me I, I made the right decision when I went into this career. Excellent. And Lauren, how about yourself? What, when did you know you made the right career choice? You know, I, I originally went to school to do something else. I wanted to be a teacher. Um, not that I didn't want to be a veterinarian, but the whole process of getting accepted and all of that seemed kind of daunting. And I went to a pretty big school in high school and thought that I you know, didn't have the grade or whatever. It wasn't until I was almost done with my undergraduate studies that I had a professor say, you know, you really could do, you know, a master's PhD if you wanted to. And I was like, well, what I really would like to do is try to get into vet school. And so I, you know, graduated and taught for a semester as a substitute teacher. And, and I just, you know, really felt like if I didn't take that chance and, and give it a shot, I would, I would never try again. So I went ahead and finished my prerequisites and tried again. And, um, just getting into getting accepted and getting into school, I was like, you know, this is it for me. And then, you know, working, uh, you know, there's hard days and tough days. And I made it the first couple of years out of school without really getting any major injuries on the job. And then this year has been the year of getting kicked, I guess. Mm. There was a, a time where I was, you know, thinking, you know, did I really make the right choice? You know, it was a late night after hours call. I got kicked in the arm and the leg and, you know, really kind of shook me up a little bit. And I was thinking if I had made the right decision and, at that point, I was driving and reflecting on it. And I was like, you know, this is pretty great. The The good days definitely outnumber the bad. And I get to be outside and make my own schedule and see new things every day. And I was like, I really just would not enjoy doing anything else. That's an awesome story. And I think all of us have been there and, and, and have had the bruises and the, the kick shins, but it's still pretty excellent. Yeah. Tina, how about yourself? I think it was while I was in veterinary school. I mean, I... I really never wanted to do much else. And I can remember as an undergraduate student, I was in a technical writing class. We were supposed to write a, like a resume for a job or, you know, practice that. And he really intended it to really help everybody step right into 
whatever they were going to do next. And I wrote it all about getting into vet school. And he kept challenging me. And I said, well, that is why I'm in college. I'm only in college to go to vet school. That's what I want to do. <laughs> and as tough as vet school was, by the time I got to senior year, I spent my first two externships with a broodmare practice in Lexington, Kentucky. And from the first day, I was totally in it. I knew that was what I wanted to do. I did well there. And I never looked back and, and that that was what I wanted to do. So it really was before graduation. Wow, that's wonderful. This is a, a new question for you, and, and we'll carry on with you, you, Tina. You know, you get out, you graduate from vet school. What was the biggest surprise that you learned as a vet that nothing prepared you for, but it was like, oh, this is what being a vet's all about? Did I, any of you have that? Yeah, I have to say a lot of that really has to do with interactions with clients. So. I think when you're in vet school and you have really long, hard days and things like that, I don't remember, you know, feeling like things were quite that bad once I kind of got into practice or that I was prepared for it. But I think being prepared for some of the challenges with, with people, with clients was what I felt not prepared for. And especially mm -hmm. clients that say have mental illness, that's really the thing that I wasn't so prepared for, that these folks need our help. They are crazy about their animals and we find a way to help them care for their animals and finding it in a different way than for everybody else. Um, mm -hmm. I think I found that to be the most challenging, especially in my, my first year. I just wasn't quite aware that these were necessarily going to be people and circumstances that I'd have to figure out how to deal with. Right. Fair point. Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. How about yourself, Lauren? As far as not being prepared for, um, so I'm, I'm a fairly recent graduate. I graduated in 2017. So we have a lot of client simulations and stuff. And I, I still feel like I wasn't prepared for, first of all, for collections, you know, it's, <laughs> it's great to do the vet work. It's not so great to ask for the payment afterward. And, um, you know, that, that took a little bit to, to learn how to do and, you know, unhappy clients that I don't think there's any amount of pre-graduation preparation that'll get you ready for your first client that's mad at you about something. For sure. So that, that was a little bit of a learning curve to, you know, handle that because it's inevitable that you're going to, you know, something's going to be unhappy about, you know, some situation or another. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. No, that's, that's a given for sure. Scott, how about yourself? What, what uh, surprised you about practice? You know, I, I don't know if it surprised me so much, but, you know, both Laura and what and Tina said, I think, I think all those things resonate with me. But I, I think the thing for me that, that really changed practice for me was when I started developing a team around me. And um, learning to delegate tasks, you know, focusing on those things that only veterinarians can do when it comes to, you know, do, doing the doing the exam and making the diagnosis and writing the prescription and doing the surgery. And, and I think that's when practice life really changed for me when, when I didn't have to be the one making all the phone calls back to clients. And I think that was kind of a big eye opening experience for me. And it made my practice life so much better. Right. Yeah. No, it's true. I think we can practice becomes so much better if you have that great team to support you. And if you're that uh, lone wolf that it, I, I do think it is harder if you're out there by yourself yeah, and I do doing too. everything by yourself. So, I, I, you know, I, I come to find out, you know, my clients more often than not would rather talk to my technicians or, you know, than they would to me because 
they would tell me to do something or ask me to do something, you know, make sure I get that prescription filled or something. And then I would forget to do it when you get it done. But my technicians just would always provide greater yep. service. And, you know, it got to be, if they wanted something done, they would rather talk to the technician rather than me. And I love that. It's fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> I always think of the te- a good technician is almost like the translator. You're explaining something and the client's nodding. Yeah. But the, the technician sort of recognizes that they have no idea what you're saying. So when you go to the truck to get something, they're like, uh, you probably didn't understand. So let me explain it to you. And, you know, and I find they're the greatest buffer and, and just really helps forge that relationship that we were talking about. So this could have happened yesterday. It could have happened almost 30 years ago. But, you know, Scott, what was your best day as an equine vet? Could be the best case, best interaction with a customer. What was the best time? You know, the first thing that pops into my head was a colleague surgery I did very early on in my career. And it was um, a Tennessee walking horse mare. Um, I don't remember the name of the horse anymore, but um, this horse was an incredibly sick horse. I don't remember exactly what the problem was that we fixed during surgery, but I remember that the mare went into DIC and um, I managed that case and um, the the mare did really well. You know, this was back probably in 94, 95. And the bill on this colic um, ended up being maybe, I don't know, $25,000 back in 1995. It was just this huge bill. And, you know, I kept I kept the client really well informed. And the day came when we went to discharge the mayor. And Renata's, and I remember the name of the client. Her name was Renata, Renata Daniels, uh, all these years later. She says, well, doc, she says, what are the damages? And I said, well, you know, here we go. This is, this, is, this is what the bill is. And it was, and I'm thinking, oh, my God, this is so much money. And, but I remember she, she whipped out her credit card and she says, ah, oh, this is fantastic. She said, I get to take my mare home and look at all the frequent flyer miles I'm getting when I pay my bill. <laughs> and I was like. Win-win. Yeah, it was a win-win. You know, that was, that was just one of my most uh, satisfying cases that I ever worked on and one of the most grateful clients I ever worked with. And uh, I just uh, remember that all these years later. That's wonderful. How about, how about yourself, Tina? I enjoy trying to explain things to kind of kids and the young people who are kind of in the barn. And I had a circumstance, this was again, probably early on in my time with my current practice. So probably I was only three, four years out of veterinary school. But uh, I had gone out to a, a farm and it was a, it was a couple that had, they had grown children but then they started becoming foster parents for teenagers. And as part of kind of managing um, the household, they gave the foster kids the opportunity to say, have a horse to take care of, kind of like a 4-H project or, you know, and they all had their chores and things like that. But then they could have a horse that was, you know, theirs to take care of. So one of the younger teenagers who was a bit more, I'll say awkward than the other kids, you know, glasses, pigtails, the whole nine yards. Her charge was this big rangy thoroughbred mare who was pregnant, but she wasn't in good, good body condition and she wasn't, her health wasn't that great. And so I got to sit down with this young lady and she showed me what she was feeding the horse. We made, it, made some changes. We came up with a deworming program. We came up with a recheck schedule to try to check in how things were going 
and she did a fantastic job with this mayor. And then just watching the interaction with the other kids in the house, she really, like, this mayor meant a lot to her, and she just met her. Well, anyway, so then the mayor falls, and then I'm out there. I assisted the foster parents with the delivery, and then when I went back to do the newborn exam, now she's out of school, and she's there with us. And there was, like, this weird feeling in the stall because that foal was so attentive to that young lady. And I just kept thinking that this was just a magical thing. Like, I don't know what what circumstances in her life got her into foster care or anything like that, but what I witnessed in that stall with that mare and that foal and that young lady, I was like, wow, this is magic, and we don't get this all the time. That's pretty special. I got a big smile on my face just listening to that. Yeah, and I and I feel like I've had a couple other circumstances like that, but that maybe because it was early or maybe it was, you know, pretty special circumstances, but that made my day. Well, that's wonderful. How about yourself, Lauren? I love these stories. I can't wait to hear yours. Well, um, you know, I'm still just a a few years out, so I feel like the best is yet to come. (laughs) But, uh, you know, I'm trying to think the first couple of years, I, I feel like I, you know, was a lot of times just, you know, trying to keep my head above water and everything. And I think, you know, looking back on my best day, so far would probably be the first time that I got a successful embryo flush. Um, it had been kind of a bit of a struggle with this one farm. We, uh, we took on this one farm and apparently, you know, they had had all their mares flushed a million times in years past and everything was always perfect and wonderful. And then they decided to move everything back home and they wanted us to do it. And, you know, it was not wonderful and perfect and great. Anyway, it really kind of had my morale down and, you know, questioning, you know, this isn't supposed to be such a hard thing to do. Anywho, I had a friend of mine that graduated a year ahead of me and she was, you know, actually my neighbor for a little while. And she used to do a bunch of embryo transfers and I had her, you know, come help me at the clinic that I work at. And so she had been, you know, showing me her techniques and all that. And, and finally that first day of, of actually getting one was, was pretty awesome but I try and look back on, you know, certain cases that, that I think that stood out to me. And that, that one was a pretty good one for me. That's awesome. Well, with every great day, there is a challenging day. So Scott, what, what was your most challenging day as an equine vet? You know, Mike, I don't, um, I don't dwell on my challenges. I, I think some of the most challenging days were just probably the long days. You know, you think, you think back at, um, some of those cases, you know, and probably some of the most challenging cases were probably early, early in my career when, you know, learning that, that art of practice and learning that there's some horses that you just can't help. And, um, some horses, um, are going to die no matter what you do. And I think early in my career, it was, it was really challenging me for me to to get comfortable with that. Mm -hmm. I think that was maybe probably my, my, my biggest challenges in practice. And, you know, once I got past that and once I got over that and just really learning to understand and realize that you do what you can for some horses and for some clients. And um, while we all like to do the surgery, we all like to do the really intensive medicine cases, sometimes solving the, solving the client's problems, you know, is helping bring that horse's life to a peaceful end. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that for me was probably the biggest challenge was just kind of the art of practice and learning how to handle those things and do those things. How about yourself, Lauren? When was, what was your most challenging day? One day that sticks out in particular as far as challenging days go, 
I guess it was probably six months ago or around that time. Um, you know, it was a weekend that I was on call and uh, it started out as a slow weekend. And then the emergencies just kind of kept coming and coming and and they weren't like easy, straightforward emergencies. Um, I had my first uterine torsion that was a mess and the owner didn't speak very well English. And it was kind of hard to, to explain to him what was going on in the first place and the severity and the costs and all that. And so I'm, I'm dealing with, with that problem, trying to convince him to refer this horse to a, a place that had, you know, capabilities to, to handle it further. And in the meantime, an orphan foal gets dropped off at the same time that they had been, another client had been bottle feeding. And of course, at this point, it's, you know, failure of passive transfer and it was in bad shape. And I'm, I'm supposed to try and, you know, get that under control. And then in the midst of all this falling apart, this client calls and needs a farm call for something. And I just felt overwhelmed. And I, you know, I couldn't get out there whenever she needed me to. And uh, anywho, the, her little donkey ended up not making it and I couldn't get out there in time to help her out with that. And that was a probably the pretty low part. And then of course, you know, she had to call the office and she didn't understand why I couldn't be out there on time. So it was, I, I probably think that was the worst day just letting that client down that I couldn't be everywhere at once. Yeah. Well, it's sort of similar to Scott's is that we have this expectation of what we can do, but we can't always do it. So how about yourself, Tina? What was your most challenging day? Yeah. And it's really kind of uh, reiterating everything you guys said, you know, a, a dystocia that I felt like I should be able to get and I couldn't get and lose the mare in full or, but probably sometimes it's when you're, a case for a horse that needed to be euthanized and it was really kind of non-horsey people who were caring for this horse and and the horse was so unstable and they're just looking at me saying but he's eating oh. and I'm like okay well oh, yeah. but his legs are gonna break I mean this is this isn't okay his legs are at a totally different angle than they're supposed to be you know they were bilateral carpal kind of totally deterioration and the horse was leaning against a tree uh, to, yeah. to hold itself up, but I, I couldn't get them to understand that this isn't okay. And anyway, and I get the owner on the phone and I'm trying to tell them and they're all just happy to let this go for another couple of days. And I, I felt so adamant that I couldn't leave without putting that horse down or something horrible was going to happen to it. And then just having to pack myself up in the truck and just go. Cause I, I couldn't make it happen different. Yeah. And then worrying about what happened to him later. But, you know, it's like I just couldn't make it happen differently. So I had to move on. Yeah. No, though, I think we've all had cases like that. Those are, as you're talking, I, I have a couple flashing in front of my mind. So, like any profession, there's great days, there's challenging days, life is up and downs. What do you do to recharge? I mean, there's a lot of discussion about trying to find balance. Balance is maybe aspirational more than realistic. So, Scott, what do you do to recharge? You know, thinking back over that, I mean, I was always very committed to my family. Um, my kids are grown now. They were both very active when, when they were young. My son was, uh, was, a, was a very good football player all the way through peewee, all the way up, all the way through college. And I found a way to see. I attended every one of Justin's football games except, I think, one college game we played somewhere in Texas I couldn't get to. You know, for me, that was a really important thing to recharge. My daughter was a soccer player. And uh, same thing there. I mean, we just didn't miss those games. We just prioritized family. So I think prioritizing family was a thing that I did to recharge. Um, you know, I travel, I read, uh, I bike. Um, you know, I do a wide variety of things. Um, 
And I think, you know, you, you talk about maintaining this balance and, you know, I was not good at maintaining balance, but I think I, I looked at it, not work-life balance, but really this work-life integration, you know, being a lifelong horseman, you know, I knew full well going into this, you know, what the commitment was and how long the hours are. And it doesn't make any difference if it's your day off or if it's a holiday, you know, my family just, just played a big role in that. You know, I think back. Um, when my kids were young, you know, my kids spent a lot of time with me in practice and on calls. And, you know, now 30 years later, we, we still talk about those things in those days, those days that we had together and they were very special. And so I really worked at integrating my, my, my practice life into my personal life, into my family life. And that's where we run our practices. Our practices are very family oriented because hours are long mm-hmm. and the clients are demanding and they expect a lot. You know, to be a successful veterinarian, you you need to embrace that and figure out a way to make it work for you. And it's different for everybody. You know, it's it's um, different things are important to, to different people. Yeah, that's great advice. How about yourself, Tina? Oh, so I've uh, certainly enjoyed doing some things with my own horses, but sometimes I find that that's still sometimes not that much different than regular work. I raise Labrador Retrievers, and I've compete them in a couple different venues. In the last couple of years, I've been doing a retriever hunt test with them. And I find that really pretty amazing and great people that I get to work with kind of a similar mindset to horse people, but yet, you know, it's a dog and doing this again with, I bred and raised the mother and the grandmother and whatever. And that, that's very rewarding. And I think the things that the dogs have taught me have really helped me working with my horses every day, you know, with the client's horses. Just downtime with friends as well, doing anything. Wonderful. Lauren, what do you do to recharge? Uh, Well, I still ride and compete pretty heavily with uh, barrel horses. So if I'm not on call, I will probably be at a barrel race. I, you know, I used to think when I was in school, I'd want to be a show vet or whatever. And I've quickly learned that I do not want to be the show vet. I would like to go to the barrel race on the weekends and have fun with my <laughs> friends and my family and um, not have to be that person. And it's great. Um, I have lots of fun. I also enjoy fishing. Um, my husband and I would love to fish more often than we do. Um, he works a lot too in the retail industry. So between his retail schedule and my vet schedule, um, weekends where we're both off are kind of kind of tricky. But uh, we do both enjoy doing that too. And um, I really don't like to have weekends where I sit and do nothing. Like I don't, I don't like to have a weekend where I just kind of you know lay around and and whatever. I like to go out and do stuff. And so I'll, I'll typically find a place to take my horses to go and and do something. Wonderful. Last question. So as we said at the beginning, there's, you know, probably a lot of students, young vets listening into this, thinking about equine practice. What advice would you give a student or a new grad about choosing the right practice that really would helps them grow and to be the best vet that they can be? So we'll start with you, Scott. You know, I think back in, in, in my career and for me, it was about the practice. It was about a practice that gives me the latitude to pursue the things that I really like to do. It's about a practice that has a really good culture. And, um, you know, I think what's one thing that's become very important to me over the years is a practice that is always looking to develop their successors. And I I think um, for me and my perspective, I think that I've been out of veterinary school for 30 years. I mean, it just blows me away how fast time goes by. And, um, but I think a practice that has that mentality and that mindset of, you know, looking for 
those successors that when you come into the practice as a new graduate, that they intend for you to be there until the day you retire. That's the type of practice that you're looking for. The type of practice that is there to support you, the type of practice that you're not that, that lone wolf out there doing everything by yourself that has, uh, that's able to put a team around you and allow you to take some of that pressure off. And, um, you know, there's, there's so many great practices out there. Um, and, but there's a million different ways to practice. There's, um, you know, it's just finding that practice that you can fit into. And, but for me, it's culture, culture, communications, respect. Um, those are the things that are really important. Wonderful. Thanks. Tina, how about yourself? Yeah, I think we've had veterinarians work for us from kind of a lot of different, a lot of different places. And I think, you know, the region of the country that you're practicing in with the disciplines that you're comfortable with so that you kind of feel like you, you understand them and they understand you. So it's not just sometimes the things within the practice, but certainly everything Scott said, I would agree. But I think also that, you know, it's really the region and the clients too, you know, that you've got to be able to feel like you understand them. They understand you from a, um, a perspective of how you take care of horses and what kind of goals everybody has. It's more than just inside the office. It's does the region give me the things that I enjoy. Right. And we'll leave the last for you, Lauren. You're the most recent grad. What do you recommend? What do you suggest to you, new grads and students about finding that right practice for them? Yeah. So I, I agree with Tina for sure about, um, you know, going where, where you want to be as far as the type of horses you want to work on because the country's, you know, vastly different. And um, you go to one area expecting to see one horse and you don't get that, you know, you definitely need to look at the demographics of where you're going. Um, you know, and internships are a big deal. I actually did not do an internship when I graduated. Um, there was a practice that I had visited before and, um, you know, they, they were looking for an associate and, you know, I had mentorship and, I had visited there as an extern and it, it really worked out. So I, I took the plunge knowing that, you know, the responsibilities of an associate are, are a little bit more and I would be, you know, on my own for, for certain things. I went there with bosses that were, you know, a phone call, text message away, come in if they need to, that sort of thing. So I felt like I had a lot of support that way. And I, I think the biggest thing with my classmates that have been a few years out too is, is having that support with your coworkers and your colleagues. You know, I, I really think it's important to go somewhere where you're going to grow as a veterinarian, um, where you're going to have support, where not necessarily, I don't know, the, I just feel like the worst thing you could do is go out and kind of fall on your face and be alone. So mm, yeah. uh, you need to go where you can have someone to, to go on and, and share the call. Um, you know, to go right out of school and be on call 24 seven would be crazy. Yep. But I, I really think, you know, test it out if you can, get through your internship if, if that's what you do, because most places, you know, really need to do one of those. I think the other thing is to not be afraid of leaving a place, you know, if you feel like that you need to go somewhere else or you could grow more to, to not feel like you're stuck at the first place you land after that internship. That's wonderful advice. I'd like to thank the three of you for uh, taking time out of your busy schedule, sharing your, your passion and, and love for equine practice. And I know anybody who's listening to this will will get a lot out of that. And I think it hopefully will uh, encourage more people in, in to get into equine practice and, and realize the benefits of it all. Thank you all very much.
For more resources to help you in daily practice, please visit the AAP's website at aaep.org. Take two. As the global leader in equine health, Boehringer Engelheim's main goal is to improve equine patients' health and quality of life. Boehringer Engelheim is dedicated to providing the latest product technology for the treatment and prevention of diseases in horses. Learn more about our product portfolio and what we can offer the veterinary community by visiting bi-vetmedica.com.